now for something special. The unit is self-contained with its own saddler, farrier, wheelwright and so on. It's a rigorous training dished out who know all there is to know about horses and it brings results. We take you behind the scenes now to show just some of the interesting aspects of this training. Welcome back to Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein, the best podcast to create sounder horses from the ground up. Mike Stein is a registered journeyman farrier with an APF1 accreditation. On this week's show, noticing movement patterns that Mike recently saw in a high-end quarter and how to help them. Also, hot shoeing versus cold shoeing and observing how the horse's leg works while trimming a horse's foot. And all this and much, much more will be discussed here on Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein. And over my far right side is Mike Stein. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Travis? I'm doing okay. I'm doing a lot better than last week. And I, we had some people that reached out to us through the YouTube page. And, and don't forget, for every podcast we do, we also have a matching video as well. Uh, you can see me waving them one. Mike, Mike waving me. One of my cameras went down, so I got a different camera here, so you got a different angle of what I look like and what the studio looks like here during the podcast. And a couple of people reached out because of the loss of Pepper. Uh, we appreciate them as well. If you have any questions for Mike Stein during this whole entire podcast or anything like that, uh, go over to equinedynamics.com. Make sure you fill out that little form there on Contact Us and get your questions in, and we'll answer here right on the air. So, we've lost Pepper. Now, we have three pastures, and we had four horses. Now, we have three horses. One's a pasture buddy out there. We have a little miniature pepper's daughter who is cayenne such a sweetheart pepper and cayenne yeah she's a little snip sometimes and then we have our 11 year old mare and then we have our four-year-old now gelding so before when we had the three pastures pastures one and two are next to each other divided by a fence and then we have a 10-foot run so we can drive our cars and stuff between and then you have pasture three so normally the mare was all the way in the back of the property and the gelding was all the way in the front of the property now that we've had to move everyone around so everyone has their own little home and new assignment. I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea. It's an idea. It's an idea. Nonetheless, we move the mare up to the middle pasture right next to the gelding. Of course, you know, boy meets girl. Oh, boy. Yes. So I was out mowing the lawn or doing something out there. My wife said, you know, make sure you're checking on them. So I said, this would be a great day to move her into the second pasture so I, I can keep an eye on them so they're not running themselves ragged or fighting or anything like that. So Dominique, the mare, comes up to the fence and they're standing like no to ear opposite of each other. What do you call that? Where they one nose is pointing one way, the other nose is pointing the other way. They're just kind of standing there, kind of looking at each other. Right. I looked over. The gelding was doing this on the cheek of the mare, rubbing his nose up and down on her cheek, and it was so funny. It was like a teenage girl. She'd stand there and go. <laughs> she'd quiver and her head would bounce up and down diego rubbed his nose on her face again and she'd go <laughs> they're having a serious discussion they are and i told my wife this and she started laughing she's like well we just got to be careful that he doesn't get too amorous and jump over the fence and try to do anything a couple of days go by again i'm outside we put the mare in the center pasture so i can keep an eye on her when she got the gelding out there and she's down at her water bucket playing hard to get She's down there in the water bucket. She's drinking and then flipping her mane back and forth <laughs> like she's coming out of the beach water. And then she actually, it was so weird, the, the noise that came out of her mouth. You ready for this? Here it goes. Mm. She goes, rrr, rrr, 
<laughs> she was telling him about it. It's so funny because I'm looking around. I'm thinking like a cat got back there or, or something happened, you know, that, that made her upset. But she was out there drinking a the water and showing her ass. Is what she, she was flirting. She's mm. got a new little boyfriend out there. So you ever come in contact or any kind of a situation where that's happened before, Mike? Oh, yeah. They, uh, they're, they're working on it. You know, and they're going to be inseparable. My dad actually said, and I didn't even I didn't think about it. My dad said, are you going to breed the two together? And I said, I don't think we're going to breed that male gelding to that female because their genes are not compatible. But what we want in the end result. Well, it's kind of hard to breed geldings anyway. Oh, oh, that that means they're snipped, right? Yes. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yes. I just blew the whole show out of the water. Not not to get anything out of it, you know? I mean, you know, as far as having a full. (laughs) So, uh, immaculate conception would be the the way that would happen. That that would. All right. So, (laughs) now that I literally have egg on my face on that one, we're going to uh, take a short little break, and then we'll dive into the show and let someone who's got a little bit more experience with horses discuss that, and that's Mike Stein. Stick around. You're listening to Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein. He was the official fairy of the 2018 World Equestrian Games. And if you'd like to contact him at any time, the way you do that is go over to equinedynamics.com. At the top of the page says, contact us. Fill out that little form there. Get your questions in. Make sure you put podcasts in the subject line. And we will send you out some magnets, some stickers if you put a return address as well and we read it on the air. Also, don't forget, Mike Stein is available for clinics at any time. You can fill out the form there. It says clinics. Mike will come out to your location and give you a class on what we discuss here on each and every podcast. And over to my far inside is Mike Stein. How are you? I'm doing good, doing good. How are you, Travis? I'm doing all right. Now, I know now that I have egg on my face, I was telling you the whole story. I mean, now I don't have to worry. In my mind, I'm thinking I have to worry about this horse jumping the fence. and you Well, know, he can still jump the fence. And, and mount the, the mare, but nothing's going to happen, I guess. All right, now that we've learned about the birds and bees, we're now going to talk about what Mike noticed this past week, the movement pattern on a hind leg he was working on. Tell us about that story, Mike. This was not a horse I was working on. Went up to the mountains. It was my wife's birthday. She wanted to go on a trail ride. Oh, happy so birthday for her. I went and was just observing. I got stuck in the back, you know, left out in the back end. But was watching the horse that was being ridden ahead of me, the horse she was riding. Both these horses at some point in their life had been pulling horses. So they were kind of on the drafty side. I'm looking at fetlocks, just thinking because of what I do. Fetlocks were kind of puffy, set a little low to the ground. But on the one hind leg, as the horse came up, the hills rode up higher than they normally would have before the horse came the leg came under the hip the heels were already lifting so just from experience of stuff i've dealt with i figure i'm looking at probably some tendon contraction you got to understand this horse was working at low speed never was going to move fast the horse was happy the horse was not functioning normally yeah these are things that i have worked on in the vet clinics 
Now, these horses that are on the trail ride, are they retired horses? Is this their only job? It has been only... This is their only job. They go at a slow pace. They are in the mountains. They're easing along at a low speed. Now, when you got done with everything, you know, everyone got back to the barn and everything, and everyone dismounted and detacked and everything. Did you say something to, hey, you know, I'm a professional farrier. I'm Mike Stein. You might have no. heard about me on the podcast. <laughs> I said, who are you? Yeah, get what out of my... What are you doing here? Get out of here. <laughs> there was some discussion about it. You know, that's kind of one of those deals of somebody else's business, and I don't want to get into that too Right. Deep. And also, you got to look at the horse serving a good purpose. The horse did not seem to be an e-pain. To ask that horse to hook up to something and pull, that would have been a completely different story. Horses that have had suspensory damage completely stopping on them, if it's mild, is not necessarily the thing to do. Because I think they sit there and get weak and fall apart. The other thing is like that tendon. If we've got some tendon contraction there and we don't move it, well, at least moving is getting a little bit of stretch, keeping the horse going to some level. On tendon injuries like that, I've done built an adjustable patent shoe where we can actually attach it to the foot and change the height as far as the support on the back end of the shoe. The concern is with the horse out riding, what can you do? These horses were all shod because there there's some rock and gravel. I, I was just going to ask you, did they have shoes and on? Then the thing is, they're out pretty regular they're going out three or four times a week and understand their day is very slow very gradual they're not out running jumping jump it's no different than them walking you know if they've got 10 acres to walk on it's no different than them walking from the front of the pasture or front of the property all the way to the back of the property at their leisure that's kind of the pace that they were working at. Right. They're not stressing themselves out, which I don't think that's a bad situation. Some people say that's great, and other people say, oh, my God. They kind of need to earn their keep a little bit sometimes, and this guy's earning his keep and going on and happy enough. You know, these horses, nobody could ever call them abused. Now, Plenty of groceries. Now, between you and your wife, your wife also knows a little bit about horses as well because of her experience and background or just from osmosis from you? She was around a horse before I was. Okay. So here's the thing that I, I have a question. Here are the two of you. You've got a complete horse background. She's had somewhat of a horse background, and you choose to go horseback riding, which is great. You want to do that. Right. But can you physically take yourself out of that? I'm looking at a horse for the leg movement and all that stuff and just sit there and enjoy the yeah. riding of the horse because... Because, I mean, I know some people that are musicians can't listen to music because they were like, oh, they did that wrong or something like that. Can you take yourself out of that situation and just sit there and enjoy it? Or, or like the whole entire time you're critiquing every horse. That horse has this. No, this I was or- just looking at that because it was a little odd. You know, a certain level, yes. But I think I'm getting better in my old age on not trying to get into figuring all that out all the time. And enjoy seeing the woods, the hills, the mountains, the whatever. Last time I was on a horse was about... I guess now about seven years ago, and it was outside of Yellowstone in Wyoming when I was friends. Oh, nice. There. Yeah, we've been out there. But no, she had a show career at one time Okay, and has ridden for years. So that's, I mean, she's got plenty of horse background. That's what she wanted to do. Yeah, I just wonder that, she, that could you physically relax and enjoy the ride? Oh, no, yeah, w- I can. Because of your background, you know. I can. And, I, you know, I have people ask me about, well, what do you think about my farrier's work? And I was asked that there, and I said, you know, I try not to get into that too deep because it just pisses people off and everybody's going to look at stuff different. The other thing is the challenges that your farrier's dealing with are totally different because of terrain, because of the way they work, because of everything else, totally different than the demands that I'm dealing with with an event horse or a dressage horse. So it's a, it's a different ballgame. 
like I say, completely stopping isn't necessarily an idea. The problem with, oh, we got to put a big wedge under something, you need to keep enough movement in there. If you shove it up or you're completely unloading that tendon, is the tendon being inflamed or tearing or we whatever? Is this keeping the tendon stretched out? What range are we working in? If you take that same situation, we block it up so no pressure is ever on that tendon, that tendon can continue to contract. So that's some of the things you have to be thinking about. It's one thing in a medical situation doing a patent shoe to protect what's going on, but that patent shoe is not something that they can take out and trail ride. So you got to weigh everything out, type of surfaces, terrain the horse is working on. Basically, you got to break it down to can this work or not work. All right, guys, stick around. We're going to get into hot shoeing because I talked about that last week as far as that flaming hot shoe that was going on our horse and whether it was going to bother the horse or not. And what's the actual difference between hot shoeing and cold shoeing? You're listening to Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein. We'll be right back. Hey, Mike. Hey, Travis. When's the last time you look for a new horse? It's been a while. What's the normal practice that you go through the last time you look for a horse? Well, you just start looking around to see what's out there and hope you get lucky. Well, welcome to the new decade of looking for a new horse. Going to Nercordia.com will help you find your next dressage horse or hunter jumper horse that meets your level and training needs. Boy, that would cut out a lot of headache. Nercordia's mission is to find, educate, and market an exclusive fleet of well-trained, talented horses across the globe with transparency, honesty, and top-notch service. Imagine, Mike, if you saw a horse over in Europe that you fell in love with and you are like, that's the exact horse that I need. Wouldn't that be great? That would be great. Well, guess what? Nicordia offers complete veterinary and shipping services at your disposal. So, Nicordia can take care of every detail of getting that horse all the way from Europe to your front door. Imagine that. Nice. Now, they have offices in Wellington, Florida, as well as New Jersey and Denmark. We can find them easy. We can find them very easy. Where should we go to find these new horses? Nicordia.com. You can also reach out to Catherine Stoller at 561-779-1124. That's Nicordia.com. Horses for life. Back to Equine Dynamics with my Stein. He was the farrier for the 2017 American Eventing Championship. And make sure you follow him on Facebook as well. Again, Mike, you're posting a lot of great articles up there. And you've got a bunch of followers, brand new followers this week on your YouTube channel. If you would like to follow Mike and see us here in the studio, me waving to Mike, Mike waving to me. We have a new camera set up here. Uh, one of my cameras, I don't know, it's being fickle, so I had to switch to another camera. And so you're seeing a different angle of us here in the studio. So make sure you like and subscribe to him over there as well. And over to my far end side is Mike Stein. You doing all right? I'm doing okay. How are you, Travis? I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. I feel kind of dumb with that opening segment about the gelding and totally forgot that gelding meant to be snipped. So. Well, you shouldn't feel dumb because of that. I'm sure there's plenty of other reasons for you to feel dumb. <laughs> I'm sure. The day is still young. The sun is still up. I got plenty of time. Now, last week, I was freaking out because you were shoeing our mare. Right. You had these red hot shoes. I mean, flaming hot shoes coming out of the your forge and you were slamming them on, not slamming them. I'm, I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm sitting there like you're torturing someone. You're putting the hot shoe on the horse's foot, and you're saying that that creates a better fit, a, a tighter mold to put the horseshoe on. Now, explain the difference between. I know you got into a little bit last week. Let's get into a little bit more as far as the difference between hot shoeing, cold shoeing, and when do you do both or one or the other? I primarily hot shoe. I've got a few horses out there that I do not hot shoe. Most of the horses I don't do not hot shoe. I'm I'm primarily I'm trimming. Yeah, for 
pretty basic work. You don't necessarily have to hot shoe a horse. Now, when you say basic work, it's all work. I mean, it's it, all work. It's just different levels of different it. levels. Okay, trail riding horse that's not going to be pounding the ground that hard. That you're not looking to build a lot of mechanics into the shoe job. You can cold shoe them all day long. That's what you consider basic work. Fairly basic, yeah. Okay. Now, the other end of it is when I hot fit a foot. If I've got a pressure point on the sole from that shoe, it shows it to me. By how? It leaves a mark. If the hot metal goes against the sole, it leaves a mark where it irons itself up against the sole a little bit. If I go out and there's a pressure problem, especially on some of these thinner-soled horses or horses that are hitting the ground hard, an event horse that's coming across, doing a cross-country course, maybe they're on a, whatever the course is, I need to know because you know we can have an impact problem from hitting the ground. And I can clear that before I go to the horse, some, as little as a bump with the hammer. Tap that down while it's hot. You can change the shape of that inner part of the shoe where you're not getting sole pressure. The other thing is you get a cleaner fit to the foot, a flusher fit. Even if you get about as flat a trim as you can with a rasp run your hand across it it's not a perfectly flat fit you can get it real close you can get your shoe real close there are times when i do a foot where i want to totally eliminate pressure off the wall i don't want a big gap but i want a little bit of space in there and if i don't have it in there the shoe shows me a lot of times i'll use a like a medicated wax on the shoe under the shoe because i always treat for something i don't have white line problems with my horses because i'm constantly trying to manage it any surface fungus the hot shoe will kill for that point. When you hit your wax on it, it um, that area where you hot fit, you wax it, it's almost like a rim pad develops in the foot. When you come back to the shoes, you know, you'll have what wears out, and then you'll have that area that you waxed on the shoe. It tends to stay there, it, almost like a rim pad on the shoe. So I, I don't mind having that. Going to the anvil, I can shape shoes cold on the anvil, especially some of these lighter shoes. When I need some extra breakover, when I need support, when I need to take away support, when I re- need to remove leverage... I can go to the anvil and alter that shoe to do what I need it to do. On a cold shoe, your options are way down on what you're able to do. There again, do you need it because of the job the horse is doing or not? Walk me through the process. So you've got, let's say, Dominique, the mare. Dominique, the mare. All right. So, of course, you watch her and see her movement and see she needs a little bit here and needs a little bit there. Mm. Do you trim her feet first, go to the the wagon, grab the shoe that's going to go on there, and then throw it right into the forge? Or do you bend and, and whack that shoe to bend it up or bend it back or whatever you do, then throw it in the forge and then come out with it and then press? it on the foot i mean how does that process go i've watched people beat on cold shoes and then throw them in the forge and left me scratching my head uh, see that's what my question see i'm thinking that you just grab this blank a blank and you throw it in the forge and it gets all nice and hot and right. then and then you take that thing and you press it on the horse's foot and then you start bending it no okay no 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 okay uh, <laughs> see that's why i was like you're pressing this flat shoe that's not designed yet for that horse's foot and that's just my ignorance as far as watching you do the right <laughs> i got a picture in my head of what that shoe that foot shaped like i heat up the shoe and i start shaping it for that foot also know okay do i need to increase breakover do i need to put some lateral support on it do i need to shorten it do i need to lengthen it do i need to now whatever did you trim the horse's hoof first before you yeah i've got okay okay i've got the foot basically prepped okay so the foot's prepped it's it's trimmed it's shaved it's it's rest and all the stuff that you need it to do to accept this shoe that you've got the image in your mind that you're going to put on okay let me go through that real quick (laughs) yeah because i watched you and i tried to watch every little step and you move you're like a ballet dancer out there mike you know you move from one area to another and you put the shoe on and then it's done and i'm like going i didn't see you do anything you aren't looking to the untrained eye i did not see you 
examine and do and measure. You know, I'm- well, if you notice, if you watch the process, I try to put the foot on the ground to load as I'm working on it. You can pick up a foot, hit it with the rasp, put it down. It'll change a little bit. So typically, I'm going to knock the dirt out. I'm going to do a little cleanup with my knife. I'm going to, going to try to roughly find my landmarks and, and set the foot down, let it load for a second. And if you watch me, it's not uncommon for me to come back. Do I need nippers? Not need nippers, depending on how much I'm taking off. And I may nip feet. If I've got a, a big twist in a foot that I don't like, that I know is not normally there or should not be there, I'll unload that with my nippers and then put it back, work my way around the horse. As, it's, as it loads, that foot is trying to balance itself out. I'm trying to give it place to shift. Then I'll come back with my rasp, clean it up a little more. At that point, I'll usually start heating shoes, right? As they're heating, I step back in, I dress up the outside. Some people will dress up the outside first. I usually dress it up last. Even on the dressing, if you got a little bit of a flare and you, you check that back, just because of that pressure being outside pulls that foot. So you give it a second, you come back, you fit shoes. And then as I'm coming back with my shoes after I've done my final cleanup, I come back, I'm, I've got my nails on my little clips and all that kind of stuff. Before I go on the shoe, if there's any last minute detailing to do with rasp with a knife or whatever, I do boom, boom, boom real quick. And if I've got a place that maybe I get a little relief, I take care of that or need a little relief. And then I hit it with what I'm doing for any kind of fungus, yeah. fungal treatments. And then I go on with the shoe. And if you watch the nailing pattern, if I've got a foot where I need to float out part of it and let it settle down, I kind of play that into how I nail the shoe. Manipulate the foot as you're nailing. It's kind of like putting lugs on your on your rim of your car. You know, you don't just go around in a circle. You go, okay, I'm going to pull it tight here, start pattern, and pull it tight here. Right. You know, if I've got an area where the foot is, is pushed up and I want it to settle into that shoe as I nail, I'll usually go there last. And sometimes I'll stick a shoe on and sit the foot on the ground, you know, tack it a couple places where I've got my contact to the area where, where I floated the foot out and I want it to settle into the shoe. I may tack the, that shoe on first if it's only on one foot, go to another point on the horse, and come back to that and finish nailing it. And as the foot stood on there for that few minutes, that foot has settled into the shoe. That foot's constantly moving on you. And you do this in a matter of minutes, you know, adjusting and looking and, and doing all that. You need to be thinking as you're moving. There's going to be a way that foot's going to react. The way the bone column is lined up is going to drive some of that. The way the tendons come in, if that tendon's not straight down the leg, well, there you go. So you've done all the hot shoeing now. Now, when would you do just the basic cold shoeing? You said like a trail rider and stuff. Could you do cold shoeing for a, a horse as Dominique? that does ride dressage or was riding dressage at the peak she was riding it three times a week you can some people do a lot of people do but the more you get into the higher levels of performance the more you're going to have to think and modify for that particular foot on that particular horse and i can't do but so much with a cold shoe so no i don't operate like that there's people that do all day long too sure there's guys out there that make a good living and they're doing a fine job for the level those horses are working Let's look at our four-star event horses. You're probably not going to see anybody doing those horses this cold shoeing. You know, it's just not, probably not, and probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Upper-level dressage horse, jumping horse, any of that, pretty much the same deal. For trail riding horses, it's a different deal, but primarily the trail riding horses that I do, We've got them all barefoot pretty much because I don't want those horses on my end to be a maintenance issue. And if we can get them happy like that, why not? you got a chronic laminitic horse that's trail riding. Well, that's, that's a totally different deal. And maybe we need to do something to help them out. If we're helping them out, great. If not, why are we doing it? You know, that's kind, kind of how I look at it. Guys that have been out there for a long time, we don't want to nail shoe on every horse we touch. There's no need for it.
All right, guys, stick around. When we come back, uh, Mike's going to talk about how the horse's leg works while he's trimming a horse. Stick around. You'll see Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein. He'll be right back. Looking for your next dressage or jumper horse, but have no idea where to start? It's intimidating when going out on your own to find that one horse that meets your needs and level of training. Now you can regain your confidence by going to one place, Norcordia.com. Norcordia's mission is to find, educate, and market an exclusive fleet of well-trained, talented horses across the globe with transparency, honesty, and top-notch customer service. Each horse in the Norcordia portfolio comes with a complete set of x-rays and vet checks. Based in Wellington, Florida, as well as New Jersey and Denmark, Norcordia is a premier selection and training group with contacts stretching across Europe, Asia, and the USA. Norcordia offers complete veterinarian and shipping services at your disposal. Norcordia can take care of every detail when getting your new horse from its current home to your doorstep. Visit them today at norcordia.com. That's norcordia.com. Horses for life. Welcome back to Equine Dynamics with Mike Sign. He is now a licensed thoroughbred farrier through the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, which he just achieved this past year. Now, you've been working with them for many years, though, correct? Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, I just licensed with this year. I'd been licensed through Virginia in years past and done racehorse work. But now you're through the Kentucky Derby. I'm sorry, the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission now. And the Kentucky Derby is through the Horse Racing Commission. <laughs> gotcha. Yes. That is Mike Stein over there to my far hand side. Hi. Hi. And uh, make sure if you have any questions for Mike Stein based on any podcast that we've done here in the past nine months, I've lost track. Nine months now that we've been doing this podcast. If you have any questions for Mike, we'll answer them on the air. And the way you get those questions in is go to equinedynamics.com. Fill out that little form there on the contact section and get your questions in. And don't forget, Mike Stein is available for clinics if you'd like to reach out to him and he can come down and talk about anything that we've talked about here on the air as well. Fill out that little form while you're on the equinedynamics.com page as well. Now, Mike, the other day you, you were down here and you were shooting our horses right and you were upside down which i just think it's so funny you know you're always upside down and i asked about raising a horse up on an elevator like that you would change an oil on a car you always see the oil changing guys either in a bay down below or up underneath a, a lift or anything and we got to talking about why don't they do stuff like that for horses so you don't have to be upside down bending your back over to bend the legs up on these horses and you say they do have lifts like that but they cost a lot of money do you remember this conversation oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. that and you'd have to reframe the roof of your barn well, I said I put pulleys, like belly pulleys on one strap. You have the, the straps on one side and the, the come along on the other side and just kind of tighten them up until it lifts the horse up at a certain level and then you could work on their feet. That's not real doable in some barns. And typically what is done if you sling them, there's an Anderson rig that is proof for helicopter use. There are a number of slings out there and typically that's going to be in a vet clinic and there's going to be a hoist in the center of the ceiling. And there's a few things you got to keep in control under mind with that. There are horses out there that have been been lifted enough times that they don't care they think it's fun they're on a swing at the amusement park there are horses out there that are going to lose their minds i'm sure so now that you're bending over and you're you're folding up this horse's foot tell me exactly that the whole process as far as bending the horse's leg to get it to do what you need it to do okay because it always looks painful for me if you see those karate movies where they always take their wrist and bend it back towards you to make you do you know what i'm talking about where the, right th- that's the way i think well, we're not, you do we're with the horses trying to overstress the joint or anything okay you know the joint is bent to 
flex where it flexes. As far as like handling their legs and what all, when you pick up a horse's foot or a leg. Oh, wait, before we continue. Right. There was a movie uh, with Sandra Bullock, and they said that the way to get a horse to trust you, she would always go down and grab the horse's foot, and the horse will let it bring its foot up if it trusts you. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. Well, yeah, the problem with that is I think most fairies are probably a little unbalanced anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, nobody knows. No, if a, if, if a horse is not happy with the situation, it's not safe to give up their legs. That's what I guess that's the situation that she was in. So bringing the horse's leg up. If you look at a standing horse and you look at the alignment of the joints, then as you lift the leg, you pay attention to what those joints are doing. I watch people look at horses' feet and they hold... Right there at the top of the hoof. If I'm holding around the pasture, my thumb's at the bulb of the heel. Well, that's the foot's not level. If you take the thumb off, you can move that foot with your hand. You also are not letting that leg hang relaxed, so you kind of want to hold it back onto the cannonball and just cup it in your hand and let the foot hang there, see where it hangs, see where the joints want to go. And then you start making some decisions because you know, as you lift the leg, you've got a joint. Okay, your pasture is pulled to the inside or pulled to the outside or whatever it may be. And I'm trying to decide as I'm trimming the foot, where do I want to go with that? And you pick the foot up and the pasture stays in that position or when you unload the foot the pasture kind of floats more towards where you would want it to be as far as inside to the outside that right there tells me something before i ever start trimming a foot if i take a joint that's very fixed in any position and i try to force it out of that position i'm going to create some pain for the horse the other end is if you pick that foot up and it floats under no stress to where more where it should be hmm we've got a balance problem that is misaligning the foot on the previous foot, you've got a limb alignment or problem that is altering the balance of the foot because the limb's not straight. Working on horses you've never seen before, some of his movement patterns, some of it is it's a lot easier for us to cut down the outside than the inside. You can look at feet and tell, especially with an inexperienced fairy, are they left-handed or right-handed because what happens with the foot as far as the balance. So you're saying you could tell that the rider's left-handed or right-handed? Well, you could tell that, too. Oh, okay. But I was talking about the farrier. Oh, I'm sorry, the farrier. Yeah, yeah, Inexperienced farriers, if you're right-handed, you're going to be strong on your right hand on that side of the foot. You can easily get on a left foot and a right foot. Say, if I've got a weird deformity that would be on the outside of one foot, on the other side, that may be to the inside, and the feet are doing the exact same in the same direction. Well, some of that is I'm left-handed or right-handed and hadn't figured that pressure out yet because the way you handle the rasp and the direction you handle your rasp is going to be different for a left-handed fairy and right-handed fairy. Now, when you start figuring that out, you can trim a foot where you're not going to get that kind of thing, and that's more where you need to be. But as you lift the foot, you also notice how the tendons come down the back of the cannonball is it center of the cannonball inside outside or, or whatever the way the joint flexes the way the knee flexes now the way the knee is actually aimed is going to dictate some before a breakover is going to go it's just like people want the legs to be dead straight but you look at the hind end of a horse the way the stifle has to flex has to flex outside of the rib cage you know that's sitting in a ball and socket joint okay horses knees horses hocks that lift the leg you can almost feel a horse that's got bad hocks and they're not feeling good as you lift the legs like well, that doesn't that doesn't give the way it should be picking the foot up i can take that foot and shift it around in my hand before i do anything and if i trim a foot if i want someone side to float down is this a foot that's going to want to not or is it going to and that's going to change some of the thinking i've got before i ever touch the foot you know if i got a foot where i know i got a twist in it and i catch it in my hand and i can move it around real easy it's not going to be bad to get that out on some of these other feet okay if it if it's pretty locked in as far as the foot doesn't want to 
moving my hands. Okay, what is going on here? Maybe I set it back down. Maybe I take another look at the bone column because is this, is this bone column driven? And does the horse have to be that because of what's going on up above the hoof? Then we start thinking about how are we going to support that limb as best we can for what we got to work with. And then you slap the hot shoes on it. And then slap the hot shoes. But that's just looking at <laughs> just thinking about just lower limb stuff. Right. And that's not really taking into the equation what's going on with the shoulder set or where the pelvis is or if the back is down or whatever it may be. Is it like the tie rods and the ball joints on your car? If they're kind of worn out or whatever, you're, you're looking for that worn out or seeing if they're worn out or there's some kind of problem there? Is that kind of an analogy? Yeah, that, that, that kind of be along that analogy. Okay. So if we're not going to worry about your ball joints. <laughs> Great. If they come loose going down the road, just go, just ride it out and see where it lands. <laughs> you got insurance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, stick around. When we come back, we'll catch up on what we learned today. You're listening to Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein. He'll be right back. Welcome back to Equine Dynamics with Mike Stein, the best podcast to create sounder horses from the ground up. Mike Stein is a registered journeyman farrier with an APF1 accreditation. Don't forget, for every podcast we do, we have a matching video as well. And a little key note for the video is you're going to see all the errors, all the stuff, all the uh, the hiccups and stuff that we do here during the podcast. I don't take those out of the video. I leave those in. Oh, God. Yeah, so all the missaying of stuff, the funny stuff that I mess up and Mike messing up, that stays in the video. That makes it for great entertainment. I didn't know if you knew that or not i don't know it's okay it makes it great for the audience and you can see us behind the scenes make sure you subscribe to youtube as well and follow and like and share us and don't forget if you have a question for mike sign go to equinedynamics.com fill out that little form there and while you're there if you'd like to have mike sign come out and do a clinic at your location based on any of the podcasts that we've talked about here fill out that as well comes right to his email and he will contact you in the process and over my far inside is mike stein how are you I'm doing good, Travis. How are you doing? Your eyes lit up this big when I said I'd leave all the errors and stuff in If anybody wants to set up a gelding breeding program, contract <laughs> Travis. Yeah, I was going to say, so what did we learn today? One, Travis doesn't really actually know the difference between a gelded horse and a, what's a horse that's not snipped? A Mustang? A stud. Stud. Okay, so so Travis doesn't know the difference between a gelding and a stud. Um, also, what did we learn today? Notice movement patterns on a horse that Mike saw just recently when he went out trail riding. Yeah, there's always little glitches in movement. There's always some something to think about and when you're putting the puzzles together. And Mike can't take himself out of uh, his experience with horses and just sit there and enjoy the countryside for I'm a I'm good bit. at becoming a zombie. <laughs> and the difference between when you would hot shoe and when you would cold shoe. Well, I primarily hot shoe. It's like thoroughbred race horses. You're not going to see hot shoeing there. It's just a totally different deal. You may heat up a shoe and make some alteration, but primarily that's going to be cold shoeing. It varies with situation, varies with the job the horses do and what you need to do for the job. Working in therapeutic and performance horses, you're going to see a lot more hot shoeing. And observing the horse's leg and how it works while you're trimming a horse's hoof. 
Every flex, every movement, every alignment means something. Every ball joint, every tie rod. You don't even have to be a farrier. You should do that on a normal basis. Go out there and and lift your horse's foot and kind of do the same steps that you're looking at as well. Right. And you should lift your horse's feet a lot just so that your horses are nice and quiet for the farrier. Because if you're struggling with a horse, you cannot do the best work. You don't want to sedate them or do anything like that. Would rather not. Um, When you're working on a horse sedated, if you have pressure problems, you can totally miss it. All right, guys. Make sure you follow Mike Stein over on Facebook as well. You can see all the articles and stuff. And make sure you like, subscribe to him and YouTube as well. On that note, guys, we're going to let you get back to enjoying the rest of your day. On behalf of Mike Stein over there, my name is Travis Holmes saying see you next week. Yeah, have a good one. All of the doggies are in the corral. All of your work is done. Just close your eyes. 